Merkel Media. Welcome back to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds with your host, Sean Chris and Joel Thomas. <laughs> I am the truther community's worst nightmare. They want nothing to do with me because I challenge their, the very fabric of their being bright. Brad. Hey! <laughs> what is up, y'all? Let's do the housekeeping. We always like to get that out in front. Just, you know, so you guys know, keep you guys informed because sometimes people don't know things. We had a couple people hit us up about the 40 and Airwaves to try to figure some stuff out. So if you are looking for more information about 40 and Airwaves, you can go to killthemockingbirds.com or and we also have, I believe it's pinned, right? Is it pinned to the Spotify or you, I think it's like two months ago. Uh, we'll post it in the Telegram. I think we'll try to do that or something like that. The informational podcast that we did telling everybody about the times and the breakdowns of uh, when the event is going to not just happen, but like some of the not necessarily the performers. The schedule is not set for when the podcasts are going to go, but like which days and such and such. Yeah. If you go to Spotify, it's on Spotify at the top. So Go to Spotify at the top of Spotify. It's the first, it'll say trailer, but it's actually the ad that we did for the 40 and Airwaves Ultimate Podcast Conference. So all the info's there, but it is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6th, 7th, and 8th. Friday, it's going to start at 8 p.m. I'm sorry, 5 p.m. Saturday, 8 a.m. is when the doors open. And then Sunday, similar, 8 a.m., we'll meet at the Ada Bowling Alley for the breakfast on the way out. That's when the starting times are for all of it. So just so people know, it's not super clear when you go to get the tickets. But when you go get the tickets, there is a lot of info there. All you got to do is go to Mockingbirds.com. You can buy your tickets there. Also, all the lodgings and everything else is in that link tree that you get to from killthemockingbirds.com. So it's not too hard to do. Um, also, at killthemockingbirds.com, we talk about our disinformation section. We've got a lot of stuff up there. We're pretty much updating every week or every other week with documents. Our, the last one that we did, we put a lot of Trump documents in there that he had signed some executive orders during his presidency because we talked about Trump last week. So you can go on there and actually see those where he signed them. So we're giving you guys a lot of the info that we do research on the actual documents because I think that's important for people to see, especially if you're talking to somebody and they're asking for proof. You can literally go to killthemockingbirds.com and pull open source, baby. Right, right. right. <laughs> and kill the Mockingbirds oh, believes in open source so everybody can get the information out. And we're trying to do it in a way that people can have access to the actual documents again that those are important because those are things that don't go away 
that these guys write theses and all kind of scientific documents like the one we did about transgenders which was very interesting and ties to autism these are mainstream documents mainstream researches that have been done that nobody talks about uh, there's a reason for that they don't talk about it but we are actually giving you access to a lot of that stuff so you can go there and find a wealth of information and if you're in the Midwest area, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, man, even if you're across the country and you are going to make it out to 14 Airways, I hope that I see you there in a brand new Nephilim Portal baby shirt, right? I mean, that would just be, I think, the tip of the iceberg. Might as well get it. And we got something fire coming soon. And when we're ready to announce that, oh, I think that one's going to even, if you, if we're just going to keep hitting you guys with some great designs, but that Neville and Poro baby has been going through the roof. A lot of people are really loving it, getting great feedback. Uh, appreciate everybody that has uh, took the time to purchase that and, and the brat brat, you know, killer bird shirt, a bird killer. Always, man, I don't know what's lately. I've been dyslexic. I don't know. <laughs> like my brain flipped to dyslexic. Um, and then we got the classic butt cheeks tight. Any of those three shirts and possibly before and i'm pretty sure it is wink wink i'm winking right now <laughs> there's gonna be the new one before you get to ada ohio for airways and uh check out all the merch and we appreciate everybody and i think there's something else that we usually ask people about which they've been kind of coming through man we kind of called for action and, and i think they came through what do you think yeah we said we needed more five stars and you guys really came through this past week. Y'all were killing the five stars on Spotify, killing them on Apple. Just so you know, too, on Apple, if you're out of the country, we see those through a app called Chartable because a lot of those get lost in the algorithm when they're from overseas, even though they do eventually add in, but initially they don't show up. Even a lot of the reviews that you guys write, they at least show up in Chartable, so we do see them. So today I'm actually going to read three from overseas because they're the ones you won't actually see if you're in the states and you're looking at the app itself but we do get them so i wanted to read three of those and then i'll read a couple spotify's too but we've got great show just love this podcast talent and realness overload loved your ginger snaps the other day joel about your experience in the masons thank you both for speaking from your core kari aka ma'am in georgia and this is kari mim from canada that sent us this. So we really appreciate that. Kari, I hope that I'm saying that right. Maybe Carrie, that could be one of the two. So, Oh, Canada. <laughs> I said, I didn't say blame Canada, you know? <laughs> right, right. We really appreciate that guys. We've got a booyah dog. Oh man. Just a soulful spirit from across the pond. Just want to say I'm your top fan in the UK. Always my first podcast. If the day you boys hit it right where it needs to be hit. Truth, laughter, and man, yours music is banging. All the love I can give to you, all brat, brat, bird killers. Oh, I got the t-shirt, thanks. And old soul, God bless, Darren. So this is Darren from Great Britain. We really appreciate that, Darren. And we do remember seeing that name, Darren, come through a few times buying, I think, all the shirts. So <laughs> I think he did. He's, we appreciate that a lot, man. He's always supported. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And we've got another one. Buckle up, boys. In the immortal words of Samuel L. Jackson in Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. This is EJK369 from Canada as well. Really appreciate it. All the love from the UK and Canada, guys. Um, we've got a couple 
from Spotify, and this is from the Trump one. We got Vic Man. Thank you for sharing this information. I was a Trump supporter, but now I'm on the fence. I don't really think it matters who you vote for. The powers that be are going to put whoever they want in office. Agreed. You guys know how we think here. These guys are selected, not elected. We know that the episode, for the most part, the guys that are with us now are on board with it, but we do know we got a few guys that got their butt cheeks tight, baby. They got them super tight with the last episode. And generally speaking, I think some of the Trump guys just just completely skipped over the episode. They didn't want to listen to it. They wouldn't listen to it because if they did, it would break their matrix. We do have Ingrid Don Harrington. I love, love, love Lights Off. Great song, guys. Great job. Appreciate that. And for anyone that doesn't know, Sean and I both do music. You can type in Joel Thomas or Sean Chris on any music streaming platform, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, whatever. Type our names in, our music will come right up. We've got tons of it. If you listen to any of the music at the end of the show, that's us. It's always us. It won't be anybody else. It'll always be us. So on that note, I think we got the housekeeping out of the way, Sean. I think so. Uh, Before I'd say one more thing, I do think the people that... uh Really, uh, our big Trump people were a little bit. They just either pass it or they go. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're gonna. Uh, I think you're right. Let's just get into it. I'm the boogeyman, and I'm coming to get you. <laughs> I can think you kind of see where we're going, man. Some people are gonna hear. Sometimes they'd be like. Man, is this a wrestling podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to trick a few people. They're going to get get a quick education. <laughs> Just as they showed up in that certain 20 minutes on the episode we did with AI, Appalachian Intelligence. I'm like, man, these guys are like, oh, this is a wrestling podcast. I, I didn't know I came into conspiracies and old world stuff about Nephilim. But yeah, no, it's... Uh, Wrestling's great for anybody that doesn't know. Sean and I both love professional wrestling. It teaches you about, and it teaches you about it politics. It does teach you about politics and life. <laughs> I can does. attribute anything that goes on in wrestling to life, any facet of life. And for the people that are like, how can you like that? It's fake. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because they tell you it's fake. No, not like the other sports out there that don't tell you, and then it is fake. So that's why I do like it. It's a great story. And plus, I think people forget that you do need to have stuff to unwind. And I think that's what we're kind of doing here. And not that it's just, to me, this is we're pumping the, not pumping the brakes, but look, man, we've been going hard. And then there's so much craziness out the world. I think sometimes we just have to take back and think of other stories that are, are still relevant and important, but it's not as heavy as topics of like where we're going at everything. Sometimes we just want something we can all agree on, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Everybody could agree on that there's melon heads. <laughs> melon heads, man. And these are in our neck of the woods too, Sean. So these these guys are all over the place. Uh, it's in American folklore in Ohio, Michigan, Connecticut. So melon heads are most of the time described, they're like small humanoids with big bulbous heads. And they emerge from hiding places and attack people. Now, there's varying degrees of attack, too. Sometimes they're just scaring people off. Sometimes they're trying to harm people physically. Some are even said to actually eat children. So that's the other part of it is they actually eat children. Um, But they all have a little bit different folklore 
to them, depending on what part of, you know, the Mideast, Midwest that you're in, right? There, there, it's just, it varies a little bit, but then some of the stories are very similar as well. So I think we're going to kind of start in Michigan first about these melon heads, how they came to be, and then we'll bleed on into some of the other places. And then you and I will kind of wrap it up with what we think melon heads could be, because I think they're not just this cryptid that people say they are. I think there's some other things they could be. Maybe they're masquerading as this particular cryptid called melon heads, and maybe they have a deeper purpose in what uh, their actual purpose is. And you got to remember, it's the telephone game, man. So a lot of this stuff through time, even though there's factual things being told, but as telling this person that told most of this information has been passed down. That's why it's this core is pretty close together, but everything else can be a little bit looser. And then I think also things change and adapt, right? Like I think the ones like we were saying in Michigan, we're going to talk about the ones in Michigan are quite different from the Ohio and Connecticut ones from, and there could, that could be what we'll talk later is why, uh, or what we think they are and why we think they are. Yeah, for sure. So the melon heads of Michigan, they're said to reside around Door E. Felt Mansion. And this is in Holland, Michigan. And and I say Holland, Michigan, because that's going to be important later on in this presentation that we're giving you today of areas and what weird stuff goes on in certain areas of Michigan. Uh, but they've been seen in forest areas of Ottawa County. and. According to one story, they were originally children with hydrocephalus. Now, hydrocephalus, I want to break down what hydrocephalus is so people understand what hydrocephalus is and why this is attributed to these melon heads. So it's the buildup of fluid in the ventricles deep within the brain. So the excess fluid increases the size of the ventricles and puts pressure on the, bl- on the brain. So the fluid normally flows through the ventricles and bays the brain with, with bays the brain and spinal column. But too much pressure causes the fluid to damage the brain tissues and it causes a bunch of brain function problems. So it can happen at any age, but generally speaking, it happens among infants and adults 60 and over. So as of these days, there is a surgical treatment for it that can help restore and maintain uh, normal uh, cerebrospinal fluid levels, but back then, especially when these legends and and stories were coming out, this wasn't the case. There were doctors that were trying to figure it out, and they were testing. And that's kind of how this story starts with: is there's these children, and they lived at Junction Insane Asylum near the Felt Mansion. So this entire hydrocephalus that I said, when those buildup of the fluid in the cavities or the ventricles deep within the brain happen it swells the heads so the heads get massive and you got to remember when they're when you're an infant a baby as an infant remember they have soft skulls it's eat that so when you're getting that fluid at such a young age that's how it is able to expand it may, now if it was us we are it may just blow out right like as you get older you may have a little bit or you have bulges but for sure that's like why you hear in my opinion from what i've seen of it you see those big, like more bulbing or like oversized, like almost cartoonish oversized, but that's because they were so young. And uh, when you're talking about the insane asylum, the crazy part too is that like there's more experiments. Like, so when we go back to like just people always talk about MK Ultra, right? And like 
hey, this experiment, there's multiple experiments to happen. And there's not only government experiments that happen, but people, just regular scientists that want to play a part in humanity or that's what whatever they're determined to find out. And I think that this played a big part in what's happening, at least in the Michigan story. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think so, too. And so these kids basically endured physical and emotional abuse because of all of the experiments that were done on them in this insane asylum. So they were using this insane asylum as like a off the grid hospital, basically is what they were doing. Right. But it ended up making these children go crazy. They became feral and they were actually released into the forest surrounding the asylum. So the Allegan County Historical Society. Well, there's a couple of stories because they also the, there's also a story that they didn't just get released, that they killed uh, the doctors and the staff there. And that's how they escaped. There's like a couple of different stories of it. Right. So this is in this is the first story. And the Historical Society said that the asylum never existed, although and this is funny. They said that the asylum never existed, but that this place was actually at one point a prison. So it kind of makes sense that it could have been an off the grid asylum. The place existed. We know that from the Allegan County historical society, they said it wasn't an asylum, but it was a prison. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Well, (laughs) kind of sounds like the same thing to me. So, you know, it's, it's that, you know, we always talk about it whenever we've got, you know, three letters or people in power, that want to change the narrative of something, they'll change the name of something to try to move people's minds off of thinking about it in one way. Because they, well, it wasn't an insane asylum, it was a prison. So clearly the rest of the story's wrong because that's wrong when that's not actually the case. So um, there was a Lake Town Township manager um, talked to the Holland Sentinel and said that he'd heard tales as a teenager and his friends used to call him Wobblehead. So that was one of the other names that they said that they were. But not only that, that mansion was said to have housed the children as well. So it wasn't just the asylum that they, they lived in. It was also that mansion as well. So that was the other part of the felt mansion. Um, but they said when they were released or when they escaped... Because, again, like you said, some versions said that they devised a plan to escape and they killed the doctor that abused them and they had no places to hide the body. They actually cut it up in small pieces and hid it around the mansion. So they said it did happen in a combination of the mansion or the asylum, depending on who you're talking to. One time, Sometimes it's one or the other is what they said in this particular story. Um, but there's been stories too of teenagers who broke into the mansion and saw ghosts of the children and actually saw the shadows of the doctor's murder coming uh, from lights off the open doors. So this is seen later on when there were people that walked up in this particular felt mansion. So people saw the death of this doctor, whoever he was, this you know mad scientist basically that was doing work on these kids. So I'm not saying this can't be true. Um, I think there might be some other layers to it that we don't know about. Maybe we explore some of that as we go today. Yeah, and some of the things that make sense as well is if they did escape, say like they have this fluid in their head, because this is a real condition. This this is a neurological condition yes. that like 
You know what I'm saying? This is not something that doesn't happen. And combine that with maybe being experimented on as well. You know, like what does that do as well? And when they left, I think some of the lure and some of the belief, at least people around that I've talked to or you've seen videos of, is that they escaped. And the reason some of them are like savage human-ish is because they've been living in the woods and the only humans that they've ever encountered were torturing them. And when you first started talking about like the prison slash insane asylum, wink, wink, you know, like you said, same thing. It also reminds me a great deal of like when we talked about Paris Hilton, right? So that's how I relate to it being real now. Again, now some of the fantastical parts of the story, which parts are real and which parts are not, that gets murky at times. But I do believe in my opinion, that there was always kids in that asylum. And I think the kids in the asylum and some of these other areas that we're going to discuss, I think they're all linked. And I think it's similar experiments. You know what I'm saying? And I think that there's deeper layers to it. Yeah. And I'm going to go real crazy later on and even jump even further outside of the box and even suggest that maybe it wasn't children at all. And it was some, a whole different set of experiments that were actually going on there. And the children were actually a cover story for what was really going on in these particular areas in these testing facilities, which I think they were. So I agree with you there. It did remind me eerily of the Paris Hilton. I thought the same thing when I was going through this, uh, how they take these children, not just from the rich and famous, but children all over and do different experiments on them. Whereas I think maybe the rich kids or the uh, kids from influential families are brought there to MK ultra into what they're going to become. I think these other kids that go in there are for other testing. It's not all the same type of testing. They're doing uh, a, a lot of different things, which I think could have happened in these facilities too, especially when you've got multiple reports of what these facilities were prison and insane asylum hospital you don't know exactly what it was i would just say testing facilities is what i would say when it comes to what was going on in these particular places and i don't think of it and i'm like you're saying i i'm with you like i know there's government testing but um i don't know if that's what you're thinking but i was like thinking more too on another lines of like magical like conjuring you know what i'm saying i got a lot of little, i got a little a little homunk feel, you know what I mean? Like a little homunk feel to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we're definitely going to get to that part of it. I think we should switch on over to Ohio, though, and talk about where the Melonhead stories are pumping out of there, mainly associated with Cleveland and specifically the suburb of Kirtland in Lake County. Uh, now, according to the local lore... They were originally orphans under the watch of a mysterious figure known as Dr. Crow. And the name Crow is spelled differently depending on who's telling the story. You got the original version, C-R-O-W. Then you've got K-R-O-H-E, K-R-O-H, or C-R-O-W-E. And I'm going to say why that's important later on when we get to this magical piece that you're talking about. I'm going to tell you why that's important for that. But it said that he performed unusual experiments on the kids and they developed large hairless heads and malformed bodies. So it does say that the children were already suffering from hydrocephalus. 
but he injected more fluid into their brains. So he wasn't trying to help them. He was actually trying to create something. He was a, a real mad scientist. So it wasn't like he was the mad scientist that was trying to find a cure for this. It was, hey, let me use what they already have to create something else. Maybe he was trying to, you know, it, you never know. If this was a true mad scientist, he'd say, well, if we're making their brains bigger, we're going to make them more adept in being able to use maybe some sort of psionic energy or maybe some sort of uh, mind control that they could we could utilize for them moving things with your brain um you know what i mean uh countless like genetics like even just to be like hey maybe we could add this gene in here because this is the early stages or not early stage because that started even before but also what's interesting is in this kirkland ohio is that we're talking about kirkland ohio right correct yes kirtland there's also a crybaby bridge there. That's interesting. There is. And what's really crazy about the crybaby bridge this day, you can go to that bridge and you can hear cries coming from that. Now, what's also interesting about crybaby bridge, because this is where it's said that women who wanted to get rid of babies that they had, whether it was by, you know, say they had a rich man's baby and they needed to get rid of it or they couldn't take care of this baby. And this is way back in the day, right? This is not when abortions were really readily available. So they just got rid of kids. They were dumping them off this bridge. This is just one of many crybaby bridges, guys. There's crybaby bridges all over the U.S., but this is one particular one. But oddly enough, the children... And this is part of this legend. The children killed Dr. Crow. Very similar, though, to what happened in Michigan, where they killed this doctor that was doing experimentation on them. They burned the orphanage where they were being tested on, and they retreated to the surrounding forest and supposedly fed on babies. So they actually ate babies while they were in the woods. So it was said that they snatched babies from people. Maybe these women that were dropping these babies off in this crybaby bridge, they were waiting down there like oh it's free meal you know what i mean it it makes sense that's a lot of people believe you know what i mean because it's right there it it has it's probably something to do i I don't doubt it and you know the, the whole thing with dr crow though uh it gets really interesting so there was these mainstream researchers that came out and they said that he didn't likely exist so of course they did i mean if you if even if they had evidence he existed they're going to say that but there's a few stories about him there's two different stories about him there's actually a bad story and there's a really good story about him so this is the very interesting part this is where it kind of delves into you know what was he actually doing there so they said that dr crow This is going to be our first story. This is going to be the bad story of Dr. Crow. He lived in a secluded house on Wisner Road in Kirtland, Ohio. Some say he was married, and they said that his wife was unable to have children. So that was part of the reason that he wanted to do testing on these kids was to have children around. Some accounts say that they had a child, but the child suffered from hydrocephalus. And what he did was he took all these other kids that had it and just did massive amounts of testing on them to figure out what the problem was. So then he could cure his own kid from the same disease. And they said that he might not have been a real doctor or some of the stories said that he was stripped of his medical license. But it didn't stop him from working because he became a guardian of 
a number of orphan children. So he basically became a kind of like you would now foster in foster care, but he picked kids that had this particular problem, this hydrocephalus and brought them in. And they de definitely became victims to all of his crazy medical practices. Uh, and they said that, yeah, it, possibly to, to attempt to help his kid, he put these other kids through absolute torment and they were malformed and the kids, they look like melon heads and they became these just, they became mad men in their own right. And Dr. Crow continued to grow more and more insane and the children ended up killing him and running away and they became free from collective captivity. The only problem was when they ran off in the woods and they were free, they had no place to go and he was the only adult they'd ever dealt with. So they ended up being in the woods and breeding together and making more melon heads is what's said to this day. That's the bad story that we hear of Dr. Crow. Yeah, of Dr. Crow. But it's even wilder. Like, and I know you're going to get into it, but it just trips me out. It's like, they're like, oh, he's so crazy. But then there's a whole other lure of they're like, what a great guy, yeah. man. Love this dude, man. He's just a he's just a guy trying to help some kids. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's so wild. crazy. So like the second story, so it's it's actually like the complete opposite. It's like if you flip the coin and you were already on heads, now you're going on tails of who Dr. Crow is. So instead of him being a mad scientist, he was a gentle, loving man. He was seeking only to help children suffering from hydrocephalus. Now, out of the goodness of his heart, he took all these orphaned, abandoned, and unwanted children and gave them a safe and secure place to call home. The neighbors called him Melonheads, but they knew that the Melonheads loved the good doctor and he was a good father. This is coming from the neighbors. And he said that he showed unconditional love and acceptance, and he kept them secluded in his hideaway on Wisner Road, which we talked about. And he shielded them from all the nasty stuff that they had run into in the real world. But eventually, he suddenly dies of natural causes, which I don't get that part of it because you don't suddenly die of natural causes. You, 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 you're kind of working your way towards natural causes. It's not like a sudden death, which I thought was kind of weird. So the kids freak out at that point because they don't have anybody to feed them, clothe them. They've relied on him their whole lives. So they end up setting the house on fire. They burn Dr. Crow's body and then they flee to the woods and then they take their anger out on anyone that they run up on. So the locals at that point know not to stray too far from the old Crow property. And a lot of curiosity seekers um, did go in looking for trouble and they were the ones that basically either got eaten or taken away. I mean, these melon heads were even said to kidnap kids eat them uh they stole livestock pets and the last phase was really cannibalism that's when they were eating babies and you know tearing uh into children because eventually they they grow they they were you know small humanoid creatures but you know as they got older they got gonna, bigger. yeah yeah but they had like razor teeth deformed limbs it's almost like a yeah this almost reminds me of like a chimpanzee you know like Oh, it's all cute. Look at this cute little melon head. And they grow up and they're vicious. Right, right. Um, so, you know, that's that's basically the Ohio story. Now, I want people to remember Dr. Crow because we're going to talk about 
a connection to him later. But remember the spelling that I said, C-R-O-W-E, because we're going to jump into stuff a little bit later there. But I do want to go into Connecticut next because that's when it really gets weird is Connecticut because then they kind of build on what's happened in Michigan and Ohio, but then they take it to another level. There's a whole different lore there, even though it's very similar. It's, it's also pretty crazy too. No, I totally agree. And I think with the crow, the first Dr. Crow, I will say with those two stories, in my opinion, there's probably, there's two different ways. I won't go totally. Cause I think it's more going to be for our breakdown, but I just think there's more than likely a little bit of truth in both. I do think there's another thing, but I just don't want to give it away now because like we will like get our like conclusions, but I do think there's a little bit of truth in both. No, I don't I don't disagree with that. And again, I've got a crazy theory that's gonna take it out of the scope of it even being children at all. Um, and I think maybe the children were a cover story for what was really going on in these woods. And especially if people were to walk up and see these things. Maybe that's the cover story. All oh, these kids, they have this disease. I'm helping them out. But that's not what at all they are. And there's something completely different. And it kind of makes sense when you're talking about cannibalism and eating babies and plays into a lot of the occult. In my opinion, it plays more into the occult aspect of what you hear about in these elite circles and really just magic with a CK in general um, throughout history. But we'll definitely get to that. That's coming up. But I do want to get to Connecticut. And there's a ton of locations in Connecticut. It's not limited to one particular place. You've got Southwest Connecticut. You've got Lynchfield County, Fairfield County. You've got New Haven County. And then in those places, you've got community, communities, Newtown, New Milford, Trumbull, Shelton, Stratford, Monroe, Easton, Weston. You've got a lot, man. Seaford, Oxford, Milford, Southbury. So this is happening everywhere in Connecticut, which I thought that was crazy because you got Michigan and Ohio where it's just in these one particular place. And in Connecticut, it's just like all over melon heads going nuts. And I wonder if that's because if you think about it, especially, you know, early um, in the U.S., Everything started on the East Coast. So if you've got, you know, the 13 colonies and everything else that's spawning down, and I know Melonheads didn't really show up till early, early 1900s, but I'm thinking that a lot of your big cities and everything started on the East Coast. So if that's where you've got, you know, your original hospitals, your original scientists, why wouldn't something spill out from on that side first before you got to the Mideast. And you have your original scientists, your original doctors, and your original alchemists. Absolutely. Right? Like, and, and people that were the witches, the people of those times, I mean, it's not exactly in that area, but Salem Witch Trials is somewhere around there in the East Coast. And that is where you're going to inhabit it. And I think some of it, when we go like more west, when we see stuff like what you guys saw uh, uh, around the ranch area, you know, in the Shape of Shadows documentary you guys did, that's because of the natives, you know, the Indians that lived around those areas. I think that's why we see a little bit more of that activity. But you're you're right. Absolutely. I think we see more in the East Coast because witches and alchemists. Yeah, doctors, too. But the doctors is what? The same scientist. You know, it could be the same thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Because, you know, alchemists in the past 
were considered the doctors. They were the ones that gave medical information. So this is nothing new. And a lot of alchemy um, is not considered magical now. It's it's just considered science. It, it was the uh, it, the Salem witch trials was Connecticut. Oh, I guess I was uh right. Massachusetts or partial. Like, I'm just looking it Salem, up right Massachusetts, now. right? Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for bursting my bubble. <laughs> it's it's, it's <laughs> in the same region, so you're not wrong there. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> in that same like New England region for sure. But uh, but yeah. So in Connecticut, you've got these two variations. Uh, according to one variation of the myth of these melon heads, Fairfield County was a location of guess what? An asylum. For the criminally insane that burned down in the fall of 1960. Now, this act actually resulted in the death of all the staff and most of the patients with 10 to 20 inmates accounted for supposedly having survived and escaped the woods. So they're saying that they had hydrocephalus. This is back to that. And they ran off in the woods and they resorted to cannibalism to survive the harsh winters. And they resulted in, in, you know, inbreeding and all this stuff between themselves because they just, it was just that, that group. So their kids are having sex with their kids. And before you know, it becomes like a whole inbreeding thing, probably something like, you know, deep in West Virginia. But immediately as I'm getting to the third asylum, basically the third asylum or prison, that's when I triggered the whole MK Ultra type facilities for children that we hear about or what happens to some prison inmates at some of these really rough places that are off the grid where they're just doing testing on people that are prisoners. So it made me think of that because why are they just so ready to get out? It's not just because they're crazy. Well, they're doing a lot of experimentation on these people too. So it ends up making them probably go crazier. And who knows what kind of experimentation they were doing on them, Sean. It could have given them some sort of superhuman abilities or something else. And it went out of control. And then they were able to take over and run off. So that's one of the first uh, variations of the melon heads in Connecticut. And, you know, like you said, uh Multiple experiments could have been going at these facilities at one time too, with the melon heads, with other people as well, because they're trying, you know, different drugs. Uh, just some people like to mess. Hey, scientists in general, if you even take alchemy out of it, which are the original scientists basically, but still they like to meddle with things, whether it's supposed to or not. Like, you know, we had an episode on Shadow Band Syndicates where we're talking about Crimeas, you know what I mean? Crimeas. Not, uh, I was saying it wrong on the episode. I forgot what I was saying, but I'm not gonna say it again because I'll I'll lose it. Chimeras, <laughs> but these, yeah, chimeras, uh, the mixed with humanoids and experiments that they happen. We see all this stuff, and then also something's happening as well with these melon heads. So like, it could be multiple things at one time. Was I'm saying what I'm saying? No, I don't disagree. And and here in Connecticut, we're gonna get to that part too. So the second variation. This is, this is when it starts getting a little weird. So the melon heads were said to be descendants of a colonial era, era family. So we were, here we go. You were just talking about Salem witch trials from Shelton Tumble, who were banished after accusations of witchcraft were made against them and it caused them to retreat in the woods. So these, this inbreeding caused them to start having these melon head traits. 
from the actual inbreeding. And these melon heads preyed upon humans who wandered too far in their territories. But not only that, they had magical powers as well because they were said to be witches. So they're also using whatever, you know, powers that they may have or they've, you know, you know, working with some entities off in these woods with this inbreeding. So this is what this particular variation is, was an actual family who ran from uh, being accused of witchcraft. So they were, you know, they were burning people at the stake for that, you know, Salem witch trials and all that. So my question is, too, was this around the time did this family know of or were they somehow connected to maybe some sort of elite inbreeding or knew about it and they took went on the run and then just got basically, you know, hemmed up in the woods and then they just created this whole inbreeding cycle of melon heads, you know, who knows what they're an offshoot off kind of like the movie, the village. Remember the movie, the village, (laughs) they just all lived in that place. They didn't even know anything else existed and they scared. I mean, it's a different scenario, but I mean, that could possibly happen though, man. If you, once you get into an area and you have kids and you're like, yeah, you can't pass that wall. Side note, that <laughs> is my favorite M night Shyamalan movie of all time. That beats six cents and everything else for me. And, and nobody would ever say that because I love six cents, but I absolutely love the village. I think it's the concept. Cause I feel like they probably done stuff like that in certain places that you no know, fly zones and different, you know, areas like that. It just makes me see, think that they probably done some sort of test like this. Hey, what if we just go to this area that nobody can get into and raise families. And if we teach them, this is all there is and make them stay within these parameters out of fear of some supernatural beings in the woods, this is what you can create. And they did it to, quote unquote, for the good of humanity because of the bad things that had happened to each of their families, them losing family members. I encourage anybody to go watch uh, The Village if you haven't seen it. It's an actual phenomenal movie. Just the whole movie's good. Not just the twist, but everything. I have to fight you a little bit on the Sixth Sense thing, man. I love Sixth Sense. But I was a big Sixth But I love the village too. I would say neck and neck. I, I don't. I don't really hate too much on that because I thought the concept is great because it le- it has so many different levels to it because it kind of teaches you about propaganda as well and you could see like how easily it is to manipulate people because all these people live their whole life like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. And I liked a, a lot of M Night Shyamalan's like early movies. They were good, um, but that was just phenomenal, bro. Like that movie right there. And I remember when it came out, like. People thought it was okay. It got way more of a cult following as it went. And then like years later, people were like, man, how did I miss yeah, I this? I loved it. I saw in the theater, I put people man. people on it years later, and they were like, man, how did I miss this? I was like, it flew under the radar. It wasn't that type of movie that everybody just hit them a certain way. Like Sixth Sense hit everybody. But this was one of those ones where you were like, especially with how we think, with like how the government can control you. This was one of those movies, man, where I'm like, man, what a way to pull it off. And even if you don't like uh, uh, government, you know, stuff or anything of that level, it's just a great movie on the, because how we probably killed it for you because uh, we gave you some spoilers, but Hey, it's still good. I don't think we gave you the actual <laughs> when twist. I, when I watched it, I had no idea, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, they don't know the actual twist, but yeah, that's what was crazy though. Cause when you watch it, it really throws you yeah. through a loop. And it's just <laughs> so, 
the first and time the actors, you watch it. And actresses are top notch, man. Like Joaquin Phoenix is good in anything he's in. So it it was good, like across the board. Uh, again, I encourage you, if you hadn't seen The Village, go see it. It's an old movie, but man, you talk, it's a good one. Uh, but yeah, so in this version of the Melonheads, they would bite or consume whoever enters their territory. So again, we're back to this human feeding. Uh, just this weird obsession with human blood, human meat. So all these melon heads have this taste for it, which makes me think too, when these tests were done on them, were their tests done to help create that in them too? Were, were these people that were testing them, feeding them human meat to get them the taste of it? If you're training somebody to do something or you're MK altering them, you can teach them to do whatever you want. So that to me is very telling. I don't think they were just running off in the woods and being like, well, we're going to eat this now because there's animals in the woods too. You don't have to eat human meat. And even if they didn't give them humans, I just thought of this right now. You can trick somebody like to be thinking they're eating human. The whole It could be cow, right? But you give them cow skin, but the whole time when you're not seeing it and you're feeling the texture, it's like when you're walking through a haunted house and they're like, oh, eyeballs, it's grapes. Or, you know what I mean? But at the time, when you, you, know, you, you never, you don't know the difference. And I, I, I think there's a lot of sick people. Not saying that they couldn't like feed them actual humans. I just think it's probably harder to get a vast amount of humans to constantly feed them. But you could tell them that's what it is. And they're going to go for that. Oh, we eat humans, especially if you don't know anything else. No, for sure, man. And also in Connecticut, there's a lot of other legends of deformed or mutated humans that are found in various locations near Fairfield or New Haven County. And sometimes they overlap. So these stories overlap and you don't know what's the melon heads, what's not the melon heads. And I think some of these names, too, that I'm about to bring up, these other cryptids are actually a version of the melon heads, too. So I just think that depending on what location they were in, maybe somebody named them something different. But you got these people called the Danbury Frog People, and they were described as pressing a large lemon-shaped head with eyeballs on the sides. So like if you took a lemon and you had eyeballs pressed on the sides and they had thin, crusty lips and wide mouths, sunken noses and slit nostrils, which a lot of the melon heads were also said to have too, the slit nostrils. And again, abnormally large heads, their bodies are thin and gangly. So this is very similar to the melon heads, just in a very, just a little bit different um, look depending on this uh, weird area uh, that they were in. But the main stories come out of this guy, Brian Hines, who had some accounts that he was able to tell people about. And I'll read a couple of his accounts, which I think are pretty interesting. So before his junior year of high school, uh, his mother was running a Meals on Wheels at a local church, and he volunteered to help, and him and his friends would go around door to door and give out lunches to unfortunates. One of the houses that he went to were frog people and they shared a name he couldn't remember, but they wouldn't come to the door and he, they were told to knock on the door and then leave the food there. But the kids would hide and wait and they would see the door crack open and a hand would come out like a weird hand and snatch the food and pull it in. So these people would never leave the house, but the people in the area knew them and called them the frog people. So they knew that they were melon heads that lived at this house, which is super weird that there was actually a family living in a house that they brought meals to 
I don't know, man. It's a wild story. And this, and this guy's got kind of reminds me of the burbs, <laughs> the burbs, man. Another good, right? You're the guy that, Oh man, something weird over there. Ah, oh, it's probably not. I'm just saying, man, you never know, man. They, uh, soft disclosure, like, uh, one of those clones, one of those J clones would say. <laughs> and two, speaking of that movie though, uh the the ultimate blood sucker Tom Hanks was a star in that one. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Man, the guy that's fucking taking pictures of shoes on Instagram of like, yeah, this person's dead. Look at the one shoe. <laughs> yeah, man. That dude is something else, man. What, great, great actor. My my brother gets mad though, man. He loves Tom Hanks and like I'll be like, well, you know, I'll be like, you know, he eats babies or I'll say stuff like that. And he'll be like, you shut the fuck up, man. He's a national trade. And that's the thing. You can enjoy somebody's like art and still know that, man, that dude is awful. Like, you know, they, I mean, dude, he's been accused of so much pedophilia overseas and gotten out of it. I mean, this is known. This is a known fact. This is something people made up to drag his name through the dirt. He became a, yeah, he became a citizen of Greece for a reason. Yes, bro. Yeah, he did. And you see that happen with a lot, a lot of uh, famous people, man. They'll dip off to another country where they're having issues. Uh, so this guy, Brian Hines, has another story that I thought was really interesting, too. Uh, this is a year later. He's at a local grocery store uh, around 11 o'clock p.m. with the same, same friends he was with when they dropped the food off. And they were walking down a canned good goods aisle and he saw a frog person in person and said the frog person is wearing penny loafers short sleeve dress shirt tucked into khaki pants they said he's going through soups and said they gasped he turned and saw them and they said it was not as horrific as described as the people were telling him now they said his head was lemon shaped he had a lazy eye uh his face was stretched out and his eyes and nose looked far apart, and he had sores on his thin lips, but he did have that frog appearance. Um, but they said he was nice, but they parted out of the way and got away, and uh, that was his run-in uh, with them. But they said if you looked at them from behind, they definitely looked like frogs, for sure. So in that aspect, it could be just a weird family with a weird genetic disorder that lived in that house that didn't really want to go out in public a lot, but it could be, maybe they, maybe they were also a derivative off of these melon heads that lived in the woods. And maybe this is a family that just learned how to integrate into society. Like a couple melon, couple melon head kids, man, the, a boy and a girl. They were like, we're going to leave this place. We're going to get out of here. It's our <laughs> chance. <laughs> I hate living here. I hate living here. <laughs> we could do it on our own. And they did. Just me and, and you, made, baby. And they made a life for themselves, these, these melon heads. And then they changed the, their names. They're like, we ain't no melon heads anymore, man. We're the Danbury frog people. Like, that's what we are, man. That's a better name. They probably had like pet frogs as kids too out in the woods. So they were like, we're going to be like the frogs. We're going <laughs> to... Yeah, look how my eyes all weird like that frog, man. Because I, <laughs> I just imagine like that giant. Uh, just you've seen a, enough cartoons where it's like that one regular, and then that like enormously ridiculous like large eye. We're like, whoa. Well, the good bro. thing about the Danbury frog people, man, they didn't know anything about Alex Jones at the time, man, or they wouldn't have had kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it turned the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they do sound, and they could be an offspring, like you said. Like, no pun intended. <laughs> what? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. You're going to change and alter a little bit, right? You're not going to exactly, especially with the experiments and whatever was put in these bodies. And I'm with you that I don't necessarily think they are what everybody else. Yeah, thinks. no, for sure. And I think there's some sort of derivative that they spawn from. And I know we're building everybody up for that, but it's going to be worth it. I promise, guys, when we get to that part of it. But there's also two other. Uh, cryptids that are in that area of Connecticut, but they're also connected to these melon heads. You get the faceless people of Monroe. And the tale is that these faceless people, they're a family of mutant humanoids that live in a ramshackled farmhouse in rural Monroe, Connecticut. They are rumored to live alongside an old man who serves as the caretaker. And he's often seen working in the yard and chasing cars away. And, they're said to have no eyes, nose, ears, just a mouth outlined with pale lips, bony hands grasping around constantly as if trying to find their way in the world. But they're also said to have big heads, stretched membranes where the eyes should be, uh, bumps for noses, holes for ears. And they're saying at nighttime, he will come outside and basically let them out. And they all like run around in the woods and do stuff. Uh, they're not really known to kill anybody or anything like that. They just kind of stay to themselves and the caretaker basically runs people off. So he's, I don't know his, his lot in this. I don't know what his whole deal is in this. Is this somebody that they came to and like, listen, We've got money. Like we want to pay you because we're 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 weird. We're some weird version of person. Maybe something that was tested on during those times uh, at these asylums, and maybe they're an offshoot from these melon heads too. And then they got some sort of caretaker, very similar to the frog people, where they were like, "Hey, we're going to integrate within society and make it work. We're, we're just trying to live our life, man. We're trying to build a life for our families." <laughs> <laughs> we're normal <laughs> no i i definitely see a lot of that um uh i didn't go too much into connecticut i kind of stayed in like more local michigan but what you're saying again is so similar man so like i think there's a lot of these not just facilities but there's different ways you approach it right people have the same ideas but they do it a different way that's why, like, earlier I was talking about, like, Dr. Crow. Well, there's a good one and a bad one, right? Well, there probably is multiple, and that's probably just a generic name that's used, in my opinion. And the reason why is because one's going to go, hey, they could even know each other. It could be the same dude. But the thing you're going to do is, like, hey, let's have 10 of these creatures and 10 of these creatures or whatever. I'm going to teach, do the same experiment, but be nice to them, and I'm going to do a different experiment with them and be mean to them. It kind of reminds me of people that were doing that, uh, 
replica app the ai app that some people were like trying to make it like oh man i want it to be a lover or a companion or a friend and other people were like man i cuss at it every day and we're like try to make it and then it became such an evil thing and i think that is part of the lure and also what makes it closer to reality to me yeah no for sure and we're gonna round it out with mongoloid village if anybody knows what a mongoloid is that is a Mongoloid Mike. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Mongoloid word is not supposed to be used. It's not PC, guys, like to use that. But this is an actual play, place called Mongoloid Village. And it is in North Brantford, Connecticut. And it said to, it's a small gated community. And it, it is the home of a freaky short recessed four-headed Mongoloids. So they're big heads, very similar to the melon heads. Uh the gates post signs from the U.S. government that say no trespassing. And the community is made up of little cottages that look normal from a distance, but they're actually miniature in size. So it's kind of like made to be, you know, for the, the Mongoloid people to feel like they're in a normal house. They say there's one big house where there's doctors, nurses, and groundskeepers that live there. If you trespass, you will be arrested or shot or taken in and never seen again. So it goes back to like the, uh, eating of people if you go in there man you ain't coming out i can tell you that right now you're done if you go on mongoloid village man <laughs> yeah i'm good i'm good on mongoloid <laughs> village and it rem the mongoloid when i hear that word it reminds me of that hunchback from 300 like when i see that that's automatic automatically what i assume it looks like no for sure <laughs> and to kind of wrap up uh connecticut dracula drive so there's a number of Connecticut-based legends of the Melonheads, and they all have the same characteristic in common. It's the inclusion of a secluded, rustic, or single lane, usually dirt road, running through the Melonheads' wooded territory, and they're all referred to as Dracula Drive, which I thought was crazy because Dracula, vampires, drinking blood, and it seems like, Adrenochrome. And listen, there's no <laughs> road that's actually called Dracula Drive. It's just in name. So if there's a road that goes through one of these melanated territories, people call it Dracula Drive. Don't go down Dracula Drive. It could be called like Woodland Road, but it's literally, they'll call it Dracula Drive if it's a melonhead area. So that's one of the common uh, themes that goes on in Connecticut is the name of uh, the road. So I think at this point we can start shifting into, you know, what these melon heads could actually be. Now I know you and I have, you know, knocked around the fact that, you know, they, they could be these kids that have this disease and they could be uh, experimented on, which I don't throw that out of the realm of possibility at all. We know that people get experimented on this day. We know that people are captured we know how many children go missing a year. I don't think people really know the number of how many kids go missing a year globally. It's 8 million. Was it 800,000? 8 million. Oh, 8 million? Globally. <sighs> globally. Is 8, yes. Oh, globally. I was thinking 800. It's 800,000 in uh, it's, America, It's something right? close to that. It's in the 100,000s in, in the U.S. But in, globally, it's 8 million children go missing a year. So now- that's not to say that some of those children don't come back from being missing, but this is all the ones that are reported every year is 8 million. But you got to think 
but there's also a lot that are never ever heard of again. Some come up missing, and some unfortunately are found but not you know alive anymore. But then there's some that are never ever ever found. And then there's multitudes of things. I mean, there was just recently, I think it was in Kentucky, the cops uh, released some lady, like, I think she was in her mid-20s or something like that, and she was chained to a basement floor from her neck. So there's all kinds of people that would do these things, and it's not just pedophiles. It's also people that want to experiment on stuff, and maybe they don't see it as being well, bad. Well, think about this, though, Sean, the movie Hostel. Like that, that's a real thing. Like they, they didn't just get that idea in Hollywood from nowhere. This is a real thing. Like, and we know that after world war two operation paperclip, when a lot of these Nazi generals and high ranking officers got out of Germany and went to these other countries, it was even said that they would have these, quote unquote hunting parties where they would send humans and, you know, children alike into the woods and they would hunt them down like they would do fox hunting on horseback, go hunting for them through the woods. So we know that killing humans for sport is something that's been done for a long time. You could even look at in battle when people would capture a certain village or capture a certain area, they'll take in those humans and they'll do whatever they want to them. Some of sometimes they would use them as like hunting practice where they would send them off into these areas and hunt them down as practice. People forget about that in war, man. You can do anything you want during war. Those people become slaves. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no, no rules. rules after that. They become slaves at that point and you can do whatever you want to with them. And a low budget film or not low budget, but it was not out there as much. I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh surviving game with Ice T and Gary yeah. Busey, where uh he's being hunt- you know, he's invited to the cabin. Hey man, she's chilling with the guy, and then he realized he's being hunted after. You know, that they, they do that for a reason, man. And I'm sure that some of these elitists—not even some, probably quite a few of them—they they're not just hunting elephants, man. They're not just hunting tiger. Like once you've hunted everything that's crazy, what else are you gonna want to hunt? You're gonna want to hunt your own kind, like because they're up to these levels. Just like uh, on the surface level, when they, we've talked about Dracula before, I think we were talking about it with Thomas from Paranormal American. Um, we were talking about how at the time there was also like very uh, prominent people in Queens. Like there was this queen in particular that was like, I've slept, I've been lesbian. I slept with dudes, uh, animals. I've done it all, you know, at the same time. The next level was I'm going to start drinking blood. And that's where some of the lure from Dracula comes from. And that's what happens with these elites. They have so much. They're like, you know what, man? I don't know what else to do, man. I want they're not going to just go out the bar and drink it. Most of us are at work all day and then we're tired. So we're like, maybe I'll have a beer or two, but then I'm going to go to sleep. Imagine they have the whole day to whatever they want. Hell yeah, they're honey humans. Yeah, and it's a whole <laughs> different scope of reality for those people. And I, I've said it before on this show. I actually feel bad for a lot of those people. And the reason why is they had to learn it from their family members who brought them into it as children. So when you think about children getting kidnapped, they're in the exact same boat. They were branded from being a child. They were never allowed to be children themselves. They were taught that this is the way, like we drink blood, we eat babies. Like imagine that, imagine being a kid and that's all you know, you wouldn't think anything's wrong with it. Imagine being taught that this is right, and the only reason people think it's wrong is because society, check it out now, society has taught us that there's limitations on who we should be. 
but this is why we do what we do because we're above that. We are in a spiritual sphere that they'll never understand. When you're taught that way, then it makes more sense. Then I have way more empathy for these people. I'm not saying that you can't get out of it or you can't, you know, your brain can't break the matrix that they've laid out for you, but it's a lot harder than you think. And you're also not saying they can't be held accountable for like the damage they have done, but they still deserve redemption. I mean, especially I can have when you say like that, I do have some empathy for them because, again, you don't know anything else. Now you're going to still be held accountable, but you still deserve redemption. I mean, we all do, but I'm just saying, especially on that circumstances, you don't know what's right and wrong. What's wrong is right to you. It's all backwards. And to get back to like what we're discussing about the melon heads. Um, I also think it's similar to like what we say about Bigfoot. I think there's multitudes of different mm-hmm. things, you know, and when one person labels it as melon head, so different disproportioned heads are going to be labeled as melon head. So there may be an aspect of it where it is um, with the disease and maybe they weren't experimented on, but they got escaped and they lived in the woods. But then there's the other parts where I'm more leaning towards this alchemical and, uh, like something created, right? I think they were trying to create something, in my opinion. Now, not necessarily. And if 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 Juan was here, shout out. You know what I mean? He would say <laughs> he would say it's a homunculus, right? And a homunculus can really be anything. From what uh, talking more and learning more when we talk to Juan about it, and I'm thinking, were they? really trying to create what we know now and see as a bodysuit of a gray, like trying to mold it because you know how they had the, the, the melanish heads. I mean, at least for what we see drawing wise and, and pictures, I mean, I haven't personally seen a gray in person, but from what we see on television and all that, they have those shapes. And I'm also like leaning towards were they trying to experiment it with some kind of like telepathy or, you know what I mean? As well as I could, and they may have already been gifted children. We don't know. So, uh, you really want me to go, go there as soon as you, as soon as you said, as soon as you said gray (laughs) aliens. So yes, I I definitely go in there with gray aliens, but we're going to bring up, uh, Dr. Crow from earlier. And I have found a tie to a Mr. Alistair Crowley, who was also living in the United States around the same time, from what I can tell. So we don't know when this Dr. Crow was really around, but I'm looking at the stories of the Melonheads and where they kind of originated from that early 1900s. It's where they started, early 1900s, into. Later on, Aleister Crowley was in the States in the early 1900s. Around 1918, as a matter of fact, he was, he was in the States for about four or five years in New York, but he was also doing a lot of traveling, not just in New York. He didn't just stay in New York. He was traveling all over the place. And this is where he was doing various magical experiments in a place on West 9th, and he was doing what's called the ala mantra working. So the process of the ala mantra working uh, is a deliberate channel into ephemeral cosmic influences so that extra dimensional entities 
or what we consider gray aliens could enter our universe. So he was opening portals on West 9th to connect with these gray aliens. As a matter of fact, he did connect with a gray alien called Lamb. And if anyone has seen Lamb, this is the classic picture that Alistair Crowley drew of a gray alien, the first depicted drawing of a gray alien, which was L.A.M. Lamb, he met through this Alamantra working process. So he he draws this portrait of Lamb after making contact with the entity. So the entity, this is after he's written the Book of the Law and the entity Iowas automatically wrote through him to write this book, the Book of the Law. Lamb was the follow-up, and this was this entity. And matter of fact, Lamb... In Tibetan, stands for way or path. So it is the way or the path, and it is the gateway or a link between the star systems of Sirius and Andromeda. So Lamb came to fulfill the work that was initiated by Iowas. So Alistair Crowley, or Crowley, but Crowley, Dr. Crow. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's kind of odd that this is the same time period that all of a sudden these gray into these melon heads are snatching people up. How, how what do gray aliens do? They kidnap people and you never hear from them again. So are they are they eating them or are they taking them to fallen angels to create Nephilim? Is that what's going on? Because we know, we know, we know that Aleister Crowley was deep embedded with these entities and these fallen angels. And we know early 1900s when the Melonheads first showed up, Crowley was all over the U.S., like he was running from overseas because he had some beef with some guys overseas. So he came over here and this is when he met Tesla. This is when all that stuff went down with Tesla at the Tesla tower. When a portals were being opened up there. I mean, bro, they, I'm telling you right now, he was opening portals and he was bringing these great entities in here. And we know this for a fact. We know this from himself. He drew the first actual drawing of gray aliens and Kenneth Grant who was his protege he was a ceremonial magician and he actually made his own offshoot of the Thelemic religion which Aleister Crowley helped create and he started the Typhonian Ordo Templi Orientis named the Typhonian Order with his wife Steffi Grant and he was so deep with that drawing, he coveted the drawing to the point that he like was trying to make a pact with Aleister Crowley to get the drawing. And Crowley made him like Crowley made him describe uh, what it was. He said, you guess what it is and I'll tell you. And so Grant, to this day, we don't know exactly what he told Crowley and Crowley uh, or Grant gave him a guess. And Crowley basically was like. Yeah, he's like, your outlook on life and basically what you're saying this is, he's like, you might as well go off into a pipe dream. So Crowley basically told him, like, you don't even understand what this entity, the magnitude of what these entities are, what Lamb is, these gray aliens. So in my opinion, 
This is what I think could be happening. I think there could have been some sort of kid testing or testing on humans, but not in the way that they said happened. These might have been gray aliens that Aleister Crowley himself, Dr. Crow, who we don't know. We don't know anything about him showing up and we don't know anything about him leaving outside of hearing that these melon heads killed him off in the woods, but there was no body found, no nothing. So it made me think when I started thinking about gray aliens, because the first thing I think of with melon heads is gray aliens. That, that, that just makes sense. They're little, big heads, big eyes. They just remind me of gray aliens. And when I tied that into lamb and I was looking at some of the pictures of that, and then I ran across Dr. Crow and I was like, Crowley, wait a minute. Let me see if they were in the same vicinity. And they were Crowley was in the States during the same time, man. This is crazy. Well, I love that. I think that's dope. And I agree, but I think it a little bit, a little bit different. So I think, well, obviously when he came in Connecticut, that's kind of a border. That's obviously, I think he was in Connecticut. I think that's why there's so much of this lure in Connecticut because you come through the borders somewhere on that line, right? I don't know exactly at that time when he came over, like you said, and that you would have to become through immigration somewhere around there. Now, I think that and I'm starting to think now I'm not saying the fallen is not I I'm with you I think the fallen is kind of like in this involved as well as like teaching uh the more you talk about that I really do kind of believe that like they're teaching ways of using this magic with the K right and and I think Alistair Crowley was hard har- harnessing this and I think that these grays or melon heads what you call are homunculus type creatures and I think Alistair Crowley was doing that. And I think that when you see that the Midwest, it's copycats. It's copycat people that are following Crowley's way that are like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, this is, and that's why we don't, we see these. It, so maybe he's making the grades and that's why they're all messed up. I man, don't right? doubt it. You're not and, doing it right. You're, you're not getting it wrong. You're, and you're getting what it wrong. If, and what if Crowley went to these places in like the Mideast Midwest and taught someone had to do this and left. So this is the lore of the Dr. Crow that showed up for a while and left, but you don't know who else took on board because he had apprentices everywhere. This is a known fact. So he could have come through and this even ties into Nephilim portal babies. You've got these gray meat sacks that are created to harness these Nephilim entities who are dragging people off in the woods People are thinking they're being eaten by these children, but no, actually they're being drawn out to create something in another dimension because we clearly know from Crowley how Lamb got here was through a portal. This was through a Stargate portaling system that he was opening up with with all of these rituals. So, man, I'm telling you right now, I can't believe I found that connection and I was it hit me. I was like, wait a minute. When was he in the States? Let me look at the time frame. I was like, oh, my God, he was there. He was in the States when this was happening. Yeah. That, you nailed it on that one, man. And now that you're saying that, that makes even more sense, right? He's going to want to create this army for these entities that are contr- not just controlling him, but he looks up to him and wants to. They're probably lying to him and be like, yeah, we're going to be on the team, bro. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry, man. We're going to get you on the team. So he's out there. Can he travel with Porter? Who's, who's saying that he has to drive anywhere or horseback anywhere or anything? Because you got to remember, because didn't Crowley die like in like 47, 48, somewhere around yeah, there? I believe it was the 40s. Like, there was cars, bro. Yeah. When yeah. he was alive, there was like, for, he went from horses to cars. But I think 
there's a lot of that portal, that portal aspect of it. And then you got to think that there's some proof to it. If you ask me, because they talk about Stalin. When they talk about area 51, they say Stalin created a fake UFO and surgically changed, altered humans. Now, we're thinking like how, oh, we got to cut his face off. You know what I mean? We didn't see these people. Now, again, when you're doing an experiment, it doesn't come out right the first few times. So maybe they were making them or Crowley was expert or some of his understudies. And he was traveling like you're saying that they weren't copying him. He was trying to teach as many as he could his skills and, and what he came up with or what he was taught from the fallen and spreading it around. And I think that some people are just not good at alchemy. I think that's why we see some of this. And I'm not saying it is the whole end on, on melon heads, but once you said Crowley, I was like, Oh my God, man, there is endless options now, bro. You literally have it. If crow Crowley, what would you do? Of course you don't want everybody to know it's Crowley. You just have to take off the last and he's an alchemist. So he could be call himself a doctor. And listen, Crowley's whole goal was to transcend and you were talking about his death, and we knew it was in the 40s. I need to look it up for sure. Bro, you can't make this up. 1947, man. Roswell, Operation High Jump. All this stuff's happening the year that Crowley dies. And what shows up the year that Crowley dies? The Grays on a wide scale. Now they're, now they're known to the world. So maybe these melon heads in the early 1900s leading up to this point, they are the same thing. They're the grays and they're pulling people back into the woods, into these portals, into this other dimension with these alchemists that Dr. Crow or Aleister Crowley has taught. Bro, I think we're on to something here. Let me add one more layer. Let me add one more layer now, right? The grays are the final product. So the melon heads that we hear about, these are the ones that were tossed aside, scrapped. Maybe things were burnt or where they killed the, the, the doctor, whatever. That's why some of the stories line up. But the final outcome, oh my God, 1947. Wow, that is crazy, man. Operation High Jump, Crowley, and then Ros. Like, that's not a coincidence. It happens after he's perfected it, right? Or, or maybe he's going around trying to perfect it. It just makes sense that there'd be all these weird... You can't always get it right the first time. I'm sure that you're not the falling. You're not God. You don't have... You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, let me mix a little bit of dog dick with some uh, uh, ox butthole. <laughs> oh, that's a little too much ox butthole there, man. <laughs> oh, my God, man. That is... I love it, man. I love it. I think that is true. And regardless, if it's just... I just think that there's got to be ones that are not grazed because they were trying to make them that and they just look all deformed and they had to maybe use it off a human and then they finally perfected it and then wink wink Crowley's gone all of a sudden when all this crate when everything's happening oh he's happened to just die that same year exactly and to add another layer to it that I was saving too so we I told everyone to remember Holland Michigan so this is the door E felt mansion was in Holland Michigan so at that point, I was like, okay, so what is close by to Holland, Michigan? The Michigan Stonehenge is close to Holland, Michigan, the Michigan Triangle on the Michigan Lake. So check this out. Holland, Michigan 
has got a lake river system that starts at Beechwood and goes to uh, another little bit bigger lake system, but it dumps into the Michigan Lake. The Michigan Lake, the Bermuda Triangle of Michigan, or the Michigan Triangle, its tip is right there. You've got this ancient stone arrangement called the Michigan Stonehenge in the water. And they said that this Michigan Stonehenge is access to a portaling system. So you've got a giant underwater portaling system right there in the same area that this doctor, the unknown name doctor, though, here in Michigan, they call him Dr. Crow in Ohio, which isn't that far away from there, going on in this Michigan Triangle, where it's said to be a portaling system underneath the water. Not only that, next to the Stonehenge is a giant boulder with a hieroglyph of a woolly mammal on it. What did Admiral Byrd see when he supposedly went inside the earth? Which I think maybe he went through a portaling system. Woolly mammoths. This is right next to it. Booyah, dog! Bang! We're in, we're we're in the danger zone, man. And I'm clinching my cheeks hard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love it. No, that makes even more sense now because you came through immigration, probably around Connecticut. That's why Connecticut's so crazy. Then you, if you're going to a, where a portal is at, right? What the? Why is there not in Pennsylvania? You don't want to really hear about about right? Pennsylvania's in that little area. You would think that, oh, migrates through, but not if you're portaling. Exactly. <laughs> and we know uh, just from the fact that Aleister Crowley, uh, during that period of time, was talking to Tesla, at least, at least via a mutual friend. But I think they met in person. I think they met Tesla Tower, and I think the whole purpose to meet at Tesla Tower was to work out some of this alchemical portaling. I think that Crowley had some info that Tesla needed, and Tesla had some info that Crowley needed, and this was to get portaling on a wider scale. This is more of that Nephilim or Raphaim portaling from back in the day, where they they just... They knew sigils like the back of their hand. So they're just like, doo, doo, doo. it's like pressing a couple buttons. They're opening them up, moving around where they're working a lot harder to be able to do this. So I think all these places are connected. I think that Crowley was the one involved with these melon heads. And I don't think it's a reach to say that because of the time period that he was in the States. And then this Dr. Crow, this mysterious Dr. Crow that no one's seen, but the name sounds eerily similar, especially when it's that C-R-O-W-E, which is one of the spellings that people keep saying that it's spelled like. When I saw that spelling, it just made me think. I was like, man, I was already digging into Crowley anyway with Lamb and the Grays. I was like, let me see time periods. It works. It works. Well, even with the melon heads, they, they go back far, man. <laughs> it's far enough. Pat, before 1947. You know what I mean? So that... That's all. That's the only thing that had to fit into that timeline. But I did find out something unfortunate right now. Uh, I think I will be the new psyop of the show. Uh, I, you know how the Chinese? I've been watching a lot of uh, Gary's a number guy, right? Well, the Chinese zodiac sign for 1947 is the pig. 
1983, the year I was born. So great. <laughs> I'm, an I'm an alchemist. You're you're one of those unfortunate elite kids that got born into it. Can't help it. I've got empathy for Sean, guys. He's a bad person. He's got redemption, though. He can Thank be God redeemed. <laughs> wow, though, that's that that's mind blowing, though, man. The portal system's right there. You got the connection with Tesla. We know that he's... Everybody just thinks of the free energy part. They hide, oh, man, free one. What do you want free energy for, man? You need a lot of energy to open a portal. You know what I mean? But then again, because he when he's trying to do it before Crowley, that's why I'm with you. They had to have met. And then he's like, oh, this is how you do it. You know what I'm saying? And I think he wants to implement it. He, he wanted to implement it almost like scientifically, like take part, the alchemist part, like... Well, we know as science, not like as far as magic Think about science. it this way. So I think when he opens up this portaling or Stargate um, using these rituals, when he meets Lamb, I, I don't think Lamb was a meat sack. I think it was a fallen angel masquerading because I think they do masquerade as, gay, as grays too, right? I think that they can shapeshift into whatever. I thought you said gays <laughs> at first. <laughs> I was like, whoa, hey, man, bro. It's those frog people, man. They got me. It's on my mind. It's on my mind. <laughs> you know what I'm I think that it, sh it was to show him what these entities needed to be. Like, this is the ultimate form. And then he needed to create these meat sacks for these Nephilim who didn't have bodies anymore, the lost souls of the Nephilim, to have these meat sacks to inhabit to then help carry on the goal too. So I think by the time 1947 hits, those greys were meat sacks inhabited by these entities, which also tricked the governments into thinking they were aliens, that they were these extraterrestrials that they said that they were. And this just enacted that fallen angel plan, escalated it really quickly. But I think that Crowley has had a huge hand behind the scenes of helping implement this entire process dude it makes no sense that he dies the year that the huge spike happens with ufos with all of it i mean it literally escalates like technology blows up after he dies it's like that was the, that was the final sacrifice it's like his death was the ultimate transcendence it's like what he was promised if when he died, like, this is what happens. I don't want to get all Duncan Trussell on you, but wow. Like, seriously, though, it's like, it's odd. like now, like, it seems obvious now, right? Like before I didn't think, but when I started thinking Grays a little bit is when you started talking about the like faceless people and shit like that, it kind of reminded me of what we're hearing about in Peru. But now that's a great, I love it, man, because that has to be like, to me, that works logically. It goes into a place where you're like, hey, he was here. The timeline was here. And guess what? There was no all these sightings of aliens, and then all of a sudden there is. Think about what happened. And I think they keep changing them. what happened in Las Vegas when they saw those tall that looked similar to greys, but they looked scared. Well, maybe that's some, something similar to what these frog people were and these faceless people were. Some of these ones that got away, they were hybrids that were being built behind the scenes. They weren't, they didn't like it. They weren't meat sacks. They were just like hybrids that 
the experiments were going bad. They ran away. They were like the 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 mess ups. I think a lot of that was going on too, man. Alchemists don't get it right the first time. I can tell you that. Like they're not perfect. And especially even if they're being taught by fallen entities, it doesn't mean they're going to get it right. Like off the first time, like fallen entities, if or even understand mean, what they really exactly. mean. <laughs> like you know what so I mean. So <laughs> even if you had Alistair Crowley go there and teach so and so and left, so and so still got to screw up a bunch of times before they're getting it right. And if you're also creating meat sacks, you're probably not going to get those right off the first try either. Not the first batch. So even if these entities take over a batch that's messed up, could be some of the original melon heads that people saw that were pulling people in. To obviously create some sort of Nephilim hybrid behind the scenes, but these were like the original meat sacks. Where it's like, hey, we gotta get these meat sacks up, man. We gotta. Crowley probably left and came back and was like, "What is the prototype?" He probably like <laughs> showed him what to do. Left for a couple years, came yeah. back and was like, "I leave." For two years, and this is what y'all are doing with my creations. He's probably like flipping off the handle, man, going off at like whoever. He's like making a bunch of mongoloids. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's exactly what would be going on at these times. Man, that's a. I love that because I kept reading about it too, and I've heard people talk about it, and they always say Doctor Crow, but I never made the connection with Crowley. I didn't even because I think sometimes we forget this when people were like were around in the eighteen hundreds. We just I think it's like our mind blocks out that hey, they could have still been alive less than a hundred years ago. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Crowley's not like long gone. No, man, we're only talking. Like, I mean, he wasn't like years. years and years ago. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not that long. So and they and it's. And there was no UFO. Yeah, man, the UFO thing blows my mind. I think, ah, uh, man, that blew my mind, man. I, I think it's been a minute since you really stumped me to a, like, where I'm like, wow, man, I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I knew we were going to have a blast today, man. Anytime we get on cryptids, man, it's, I'm going to get in my bag, like, especially with, uh, with fallen entities, they somehow find their way like into this piece of it. But this, this episode is an absolutely perfect example. If you're a new listener of how we connect all the threads, we literally connected government. We connected psyops behind the scenes. We connected the occult and we connected cryptids. It all interconnects guys. It becomes a massive jigsaw puzzle that you're putting together slowly. And you may only get a quarter of the jigsaw puzzle done before you're dead, but man, you got more together than most people did. Some people don't even know there is a jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) I really think though, we should hit up Juan and be like, and maybe you can help him figure out, be like, Hey, how does fallen angel say, how do you translate dog dick in fallen angel language. <laughs> Maybe that's like the problem they were having for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, we had a blast, man. And again, you know, we like to tell you guys, you can hear this live in your face, eight Ohio. So if you're in the mid Midwest area, hit up kill the Click on 40 and airways, October 6th, 7th and 8th. And guess what? Maybe you can't come out the six. The main, I think mo- most of the bulk of the podcasts are going to be on the Saturday. So maybe you go, ha- don't worry, come out on the 7th, have a good time. And then, then of course, enjoy your stay and then have an early morning breakfast with us. And we'll all just, you have a panel, you could talk and ask questions. I think we're going to limit some of you guys because after some of these flat earth comments we get, we might have to give you guys like a one minute 
timeline or something, <laughs> or you guys are going to yell at us for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I think most people are going to come to see us, man, even if they are flat earthers, man, they'll leave us alone, man. Like, Yeah, I love the flat earthers. Yeah. I just love giving a hard time. Because it's because there's a few of you that get so upset and write these novels. And then I'm like, well, I got to keep making fun of you because it's making me it's laugh. It's never going to stop. Like, <laughs> like, here's the thing. And I and I joked about this to Juan and you off air. But I was like, listen, man, if I found out that the earth was flat, like I just knew, like, uh, yeah, it's flat, guys. I would still say it's not because you guys get so worked up. Like, it's more fun watching how yeah. mad you get and writing absolute novels that nobody's reading. Like, we're not reading. We don't have time. <laughs> I don't even have the time to write all that much less. But here's the thing. Like we do research guys. And as a matter of fact, this is only known by Juan and Sean. And now you guys are knowing it too. I'm doing an in-depth deep dive on the psyop of flat earth. And I'm going to have, I've got a bunch now, but I want to do an absolute banger of a presentation here in a few months where at least I can show the antithesis of because here's the thing you can anybody can believe one thing but there has to be an opposite of it there always is an opposite of anything you believe and there'll always be valid points on the other side so I think to get a full view of anything you have to the issue with flat earth is these guys do a lot of research and what they do is they run up on people who just have been taught their whole lives that the earth's round and they look at you like you're stupid. I don't think you're stupid. I think you've done a lot of research, but I do think a lot of that research is very flawed. But I want to be able to come to you with, and I've got a lot of knowledge now, but I'm going to have a thorough presentation on the counterpoints to everything, even biblically, because that's very important in this flat earth space but that's coming guys i will have that for you and i don't know what platform i'm going to do it on yet or anything but it's going to be ridiculous and it's going to be a good one and you can listen to it hopefully with an open mind and be like you know what maybe i'm not all the way right with this and maybe you walk away with it like yeah i still believe it's flat which is cool too but at least you like listen to an opposite reaction because listen as much as you guys think we haven't we've all looked into flat earth a lot we're not in this space to not do that so we definitely have i've seen tons of documentaries and read tons of stuff about flat earth it's not that we haven't done the research like people say no we've done the research maybe for that one we could sell something online of like in the merch store of like some kind of like butt clincher you know what i mean like it's like <laughs> it clinches it for you makes it a lot easier to get through the episode you know just a clinch boom you're good right exactly but i think also don't forget to check out Joel Thomas Sean Chris on all music streaming platforms and also, because we're going to go out today, I think of this, and I think we're going to probably get maybe the end of the month or whatever we figure, maybe the end of the year, whatever the hell we feel like. But if you don't know, we've talked about it a few times. Joel has a soundtrack for the Shape of Shadows documentary that has been out. I am featured on it. A couple other people are featured on it. But I think that we should go out today with a song that I really personally like, and I know a lot of people like it too, Lights on the Mesa. Yeah, I agree with that. And before we get out of here, though, uh, Sean, I have gone in a week without talking to Jen Saki or texting Jen Saki. I feel free, man. I feel like I'm free. I, I feel like I, I'm kind of in a new space. I'm looking for a new ginger, you know, elite. You know, it's got to be elite, man, because we got to have that pure blood, that pure blood Nephilim children. But 
you know, I, I, uh, no, no Donna's, no Donna's from, uh, from Wisconsin. <laughs> hey, if your name is Donna and you're from Wisconsin, we love you. <laughs> really, we do. <laughs> <laughs> There's some lady right now driving in Wisconsin, <laughs> loving our show. Just like, what the, are fuck? you kidding me, man? I hate those guys. Now. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it's a good, a good, you're, you're doing good, man. You know, you're going to find her. She's there somewhere. There's got to be another elite Nephilim redhead. It's got to be, man. Somewhere. It's got to be. So, you know, I, I, I've gotten, you know, off the sake juice. You know, I, I think I've done pretty good. You know, I'm not doing any sake bombs. So, you know, anything related to sake anything, man. I didn't even, dude, I drove by a Japanese restaurant and I didn't even go in. Because I was like, you know what? If I go in there, I'm going to see sake like the drink and it's going to make me think about her, man. It's going to, you're going to be triggered, but I got an idea, man. What if the listeners could help us not only give us a five-star review, but maybe they can leave a comment and a suggestion of that ginger that might be for you. Oh, man, I would appreciate that, man. Cause I just need help. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's hard, man. Cause I mean, dude, like we were dating and a lot of people didn't know that man, like the past like bit. And you know, I know some people heard the, call the that we had last week i was unfortunate that she called me during the you know show but it happened and you know we had to kind of have that conversation but yeah i'm moving on man i'm moving on well you know how we do it here wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up bird killers to the seven. this is my confession, whoa, 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 the lights around me beckon, yeah, 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 lost in my reflection, no, 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 I ain't trying to go away, yeah. I don't know if I'm caught up in the lights on the mesa, they're so bright, Trying to cruise on a trail For something they can define I just never knew a box I couldn't decline I never thought of being one of a kind I just spent my time elevating my mind This is my confession Whoa, whoa, whoa The lights around me beckon Yeah, yeah, yeah Lost in my reflection No, no, no I ain't trying to go away, yeah. I don't know if I'm caught up in the lights on the mesa so bright makes me think about life in the desert that's swallowing me whole. I'm just trying to cruise on a trail, but I know that my spirit is written in. 
So bright. 